Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Each week, Jess Gedeke chats with world-class brand professionals to bring you the story behind the story of some of the most breakthrough innovations, marketing tactics, and campaigns. Well, welcome everybody to Dig In. I'm Jess Gedeke. I am CRO at Dig Insights, and I'm joined today by a longtime friend and client partner. I've been so excited about this conversation. So I'd like to welcome Oksana Sobol, who's the Insights Lead at the Clorox Company. And she brings a plethora of expertise, of inspiration, energy, and humor. That's one of my favorite parts about you. Uh, So thanks so much for joining us today. I'm so glad you're here. Wonderful to be here, Jess. So let's start by having you tell the listeners who you are and a little bit about your background. Uh, Jess, you and I know each other for a long time Mm -hmm. across a bunch of different companies. Presently, I lead insights at the Clorox company, building a faster, leaner, and more consumer-obsessed organization. Prior to that, I've had the good fortune of being able to rotate through a number of distinguished CPG companies, including doing work for Mondelez, Kraft, Johnson & Johnson, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, many others, and that was either directly or as a consultant and later client services director for Nielsen Basis. So I can say that I have been very lucky to acquire both client-side and agency-side experience, and that has served me well. And then in the spirit of broadening, uh, before coming over to market research, I started my career as a marketer in brand management and new product development roles for almost 10 years. That's fantastic. And I love the consumer obsessed part of your description of your role at Clorox. Uh, It's just a fantastic uh, ethos. Um, So what do you love about what you do? Well, it is that very part. So it is the part about building the faster, leaner and more consumer obsessed organization. And I can say that it is fantastic to work for a company that has such a clear vision and be able to build the path to that vision. So the way my current role is different from any other I've had in the past is that really it's about systems design. It's about conceiving and building an entire ecosystem that has a strong people component, but then also a culture component, process, capability, and the list goes on. And so every day I have to think about where are we on our journey with each of our change initiatives individually, and then how is it all coming together? Well, that's great. That's a wonderful introduction. So at this point, I'd like to dig in a little bit. And, you know, as you know, our listeners really crave inspiration from other leaders. And I think one of the best ways to inspire is to tell a story. And you were integral in the development and launch of a lot of things at your your career at Clorox, but most recently the Clorox Free and Clear line of products. And that might seem a bit unexpected, a free and clear product from Clorox, but I would love for you to tell us about how that idea originated. What inspired it? Uh, So in consumers' mind, Clorox brand stands first and foremost for trust and for cleaning expertise. Nowhere did this come into focus more clearly for us than during the pandemic when people trusted Clorox to safeguard their health. And uh, so being trusted, I think, means also evolving with people's changing expectations. And so we know that now, uh, especially for young families, that means offering cleaning power when you need it, while being gentle yet effective in situations when that is what's important to them like situations where you might have your kids and pets involved or where you're interacting with food contact surfaces. The job is just different in that case. We wanted consumers to have 
the right product for the right situation, and that's the origin of uh, Clorox Free and Clear, and why it might feel a bit different and maybe slightly unexpected at first brush, really it's the continuation of that trust journey, consumer trust journey. Oh, it's just founded in such an important and critical connection there. And, you know, I hope I don't embarrass you, but I was looking up some of your, your content that you've kind of put out there to the industry. And there's this quote that I have, which is that you thrive on change and novelty and you wither in its absence. And I just loved that sentence, but I wanted to bring it up here because to you know, derive that inspiration and to develop a product that does have such a, a deep meaning to consumers' lives. Did you leverage any new tools or approaches or frameworks to kind of get that initiative off the ground? You know, new tools are always so exciting. Those are those are the shiny new toys. And and of course there's no shortage um, of, of them involved in developing an innovation, especially. But the one I would like to emphasize here is just a very obvious yet, I think, surprisingly under leveraged one in market research these days. And that is get out into the field. That is where the consumer is. That is where the retailer is. That is the real world with its power to surprise and inspire. And tools are a proxy to that at best. So there's to me, there's no substitute to being out there. Um, and in this instance, the lightning bolt for me hit one late Friday night standing uh, in an aisle. And I was looking at the wall of laundry product and thinking, wow, nearly half of these products now come in white packaging with some sort of a gentler formula. But then if you walk a few steps over into the cleaning aisle, that was not the case. The need was not well represented there. And so that's when I got home and started looking at the data. What does the data say to either invalidate or substantiate that hypothesis? What percent of various categories are now comprised by gentler versions of products? What do tools like our need states maps say? And then in, term, in terms of jobs to be done, what do we know about the frequent cleaning moments and unmet consumer requirements on those occasions. And that's when it all started coming together. But tools, to me, should be in service of the hypothesis. One cannot find inspiration, uh, ideas, and answers in tools alone. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And there's nothing like a Friday night inspiration. I love that you say you went home from the store and then looked at the data on a Friday night. So we're, we're seeing your commitment right there on display. I love it. Well, isn't, isn't there something interesting, though, in terms of um, some of our best ideas come to us when we step away from the everyday? Yeah, because I think I think they are percolating there in some subconscious layer, but we are not listening to it because we are running, running, running five days a week. And it's really when you, when you kind of step back and switch to something differently, when you can hear the the ideas that we're trying to to break through. So it's it's interesting that at least for me, I have my best ideas either on my run or my bike ride or when I when I'm able to just step back and and not think about work. But turns out that's when the good work ideas pop up. I love that. And you need the space for that inspiration. So that's fantastic. Now, I'm sure bringing an initiative like this to market, it's not without its you know, challenges along the way. Did you face any barriers or challenges on, on the journey of bringing this product to market? Did you have to pivot at any point? 
So I don't know if you would consider this a barrier per se, but but there was a, a kind of quirky moment, and that is that there isn't really a word in the world of household products that describes this consumer need. Uh, and so how do you speak even internally about going into a space for which you cannot name? There are words like natural, although the meaning of that is not entirely clear either. And you'll get a myriad different definitions just by asking different consumers what natural means to them. And then the definition will further vary depending on what category you are talking about. And yet on this occasion, it was important for, for us to understand that the set of the requirements that go with natural is not the same as the set of the requirements that go with this frequent occasion when you want a product that's effective yet gentle. What consumer wanted is something that's great for frequent everyday messes, while trusted to be safe, a product they would feel good about using uh, around their family and pets. And so thinking about it in those terms of this is the clerks you know and trust, uh, it is a free and clear uh, option of, of the clerks that you know and trust was became the path forward for us. Yeah, it's so interesting that consumer language and, you know, when there are, is not a combination of words to describe that meaning, it becomes a big marketing job, right? You have to educate and, and describe as you go along. So I'm sure that's not a small challenge either. And, and semiotics is just such a fascinating area of market research uh, for me and the, the cueing power that colors, uh, shapes, images, font selections can have on influencing how the consumer perceives um, the, the product that you're trying to present to them. Yeah, absolutely. So for this initiative, when did you know it was a success? Like what was your milestone, either personally or as an organization? Clark's Free and Clear line is new in market now. It consists of a compostable wipe, a multi-surface spray, and a sanitizing mist. What gave us confidence was hearing I trust Clorox to offer me a product like that. I want a product like that from Clorox. It's something that can tackle anything from greasy food spills to stinky playroom messes while being powered by plant-based ingredients uh, and formulated without dyes, bleaches, ammonia. Um, and so there again is that component of trust, which is so closely linked with the Clorox brand. And that was one of the defining moments. Yeah, um, it's wonderful. And so with this launch and this you know, initiative, what was your biggest takeaway from that experience? The best insights will come from the synthesis of everything around you. And real world immersion is such an important component. This is where that signal is going to start coming from, breaking through the, the noise. I feel that the best hypotheses are first inspired by the real world and then validated by the data. It's hard to find true inspiration in the data itself, and not least because it's backward looking. So the best ideas, in my opinion, are um, insights plus experience plus gut. So insights or facts or data is really one third of the formula for success. So let's learn more about you as a leader, Oksana. I know that you are truly an authentic and genuinely inspiring leader to your organization. Um, and you've got a real impact to the industry now. Uh, you're involved in a lot of different teams and associations. So 
I'd love to learn what is your most controversial or passionate, either of those are totally fine, uh, opinion about the state of innovation or the state of building brands today? I think what's exciting about the times that we are in right now is the state of insights technology is finally approaching a point where we are able to start talking about the emergence of an insights stack similar to what we have seen with the evolution of marketing stack in the recent years. Uh, the two parts of that that seem to cause um, some controversy, although it depends on who you ask, uh, but the notion that the stack will be mature enough to put many of the research tools directly into the hands of business partners. And I believe this is the, the direction that the industry will take over the coming years. Uh, if you think faster, leaner, and closer to the consumer, which is the journey that we are on um, in Clorox, you actually want to reduce the distance between the decision maker and consumer insights, including being able to generate insights on demand on their own when that is appropriate. And the second part of that, I think it's, it's not so much controversial as um, it is to be defined over time. And that is, what is the right answer to the human machine collaboration component with AI, with generative AI? But I don't think this will be a question that will be settled for all, because really human machine interface in all spheres of our lives is evolving right now and will continue to evolve and change. And insights is on um, that journey. That's really the broader arc of technology journey in our society. Yeah, no, and I, we had a really rich conversation a few weeks ago about this, and I was I was struck by a couple of things. One is, you know, Clocks to me has always been a very forward thinking organization as from an insights perspective, and I'm so pleased to see there's some openness to put tools and technology into your business partner's hands and to kind of remove some of that distance and gap. I think that is very forward looking, and I think you guys are are years ahead of some of your industry peers. But that dynamic of it can't just be the machine giving us information. There needs to be a human being that's interpreting and, and consulting and, and learning and, and putting pieces of information together. I'm so glad to hear you say that because you and your role, I think, will continue to be very um, influential in the industry. And I'd hate to get to a place where we feel like the machines can do it all because I just don't think that that's that that's a reality. And, you know, that's not why I'm in the industry. So I was just really inspired by our conversation a couple of weeks ago and, and glad to have you share that here today. So you said earlier, you know, it's not just about new tools. That's not the the silver bullet in our industry. But what what types of new things have you started leveraging? Maybe it's something from your insights stack that you think is really having an impact to your business. Could you share some of those new things that are really working for you? Uh, from speaking with my colleagues in the industry, I think it's mostly a shared hypothesis that generative AI can unlock significant new things for our industry. And coming back to the importance of synthesis, I feel that will be one of the first frontiers. This is one of the areas where Gen AI can be tremendously helpful, synthesizing trends and knowledge. And then I believe that significant advances are being made on both structured and unstructured data, but then also in places like ideation, optimization. And so it will be interesting to see 
which of these areas emerge as clear use cases that see widespread adoption. And we are, of course, experimenting across, across the spectrum um, and seeing, seeing the benefits. Yeah, exciting times for sure in our industry. So what's your hot take on the future of the categories that you operate in? And obviously Crocs has brands in so many different categories, so you might have to pick a favorite, but kind of what's your, your hot take on, on what's to come? Well, here's a broader one, and maybe this is related to the future of, of shopping across many categories. So many things seem possible right now. It's hard to not get carried away. For example, uh, machine customers, not just in collaborators, but machine customers. How real is that? How close are we to that? I know that for me as a consumer, it is real enough already. My weekly shopping list is automated. So if someone wants to offer me, let's say, a new type of yogurt, they're talking to the wrong person. If they are targeting me with that communication, they should be talking to my digital assistant who already has decision-making rights to put these products onto the shopping list. And then I saw the data that 70% of people who have adopted these types of digital assistants for grocery shopping are having similar experiences where their, their assistants are adding new items to their shopping list that they ended up liking and keeping there. So uh, is this the era of machine-to-machine -machine marketing? Is that the new thing that's coming? Um, I, don't, I don't know, but it's interesting. It's interesting to watch and understand how um, different marketing would be if it's if it's not speaking to the cues that resonate with humans, but it's speaking to an algorithm. Um, but it's like they say, prognosticating about the future is an ungrateful job because it never ends up arriving and it never becomes evenly distributed. It just keeps arriving and mutating, but it's never quite fully there. So I don't think it will ever be the case that all of the shopping is now automated. It will always be some kind of a hybrid. See, this is why I love these conversations because I, I hadn't even really thought about that. And I feel like you've just coined a new thing, but machine to machine. So instead of B2B, B2C, we're now M&M and we're, we're having these machines talk to each other and influencing decisions. It's just so interesting. And hey, whatever it takes to get my husband to try a new brand of peanut butter, because he's just <laughs> Well, you mentioned B2B space, and that's another fascinating space where a concept like that, right? So think about, uh, we know that B2B customers apply a different set of criteria when they make their product selections compared to consumers. So it's already a step um, in a slightly different direction where you are trying to address more rational considerations. You're thinking about how you're differentiating from competitive offers on a different level. They're, they're still humans. Uh, and, and that plays a huge role, uh, but but it's already we we market to B two B differently from how we market to B two C, and and this seems like a step even more in that direction. Definitely, definitely. Well, I love that hot take. Thank you for those thoughts. So we're going to move now to the final dig. This is really all about you as a, an individual, a consumer. So uh, please share with us what you can here. But what's the last product or service you bought on impulse? Oh, you mentioned, so you mentioned uh, peanut butter and that took me down on this, on this path. So one of the um, uh, food items that I crave most, probably of all things, oddly, is a cream puff. And that's probably because I, I just 
cannot reasonably justify uh, buying and, and eating something like that. So it's off limits and therefore it's very attractive. But then this week I saw in the frozen section these things that look like just teeny tiny cream puffs and each of them is only 40 calories. And I, I thought that was fascinating because someone who designed that product had to understand their consumer target's tension really well to come up uh, with something like that. So that was a rare item that I got without my, my digital assistant's permission. <laughs> yeah, they did <laughs> for you. Okay. Oh, yeah, awesome. well, now I'm realizing that if she gets a hold of a transcript, she might get angry and block me out <laughs> of the house or something. So she's a she. Do you have Do you have a name for your digital assistant? I do. You know, you raise a really interesting uh, point. Do you have something like uh, an Alexa or a Siri? And uh, is it a he or she? Do they have a special name? So our household is not not one of those households. I think my daughter is starting to to talk with Siri, but yeah, I'm I'm not there yet. I'm not in that adoption phase. Okay. Well, do you have any other robots like a Roomba or um, some kind of other assistant that I'm sure your daughter is probably interacting yeah, with? I'm sure, yeah. Who knows what my teenager is doing? But yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's our household hasn't yet adopted that. So tell me a, a category or a brand or a product that you could rationalize any price point for. Like it's just something that you must have in your life. Okay, so that would be for me my mountain bike. <laughs> and and again to your point about um, machines are characters in their lives. I'm now realizing that that's a he, right? So my digital assistant to me is a she, but my mountain bike is a he for whatever reason um, and has a name also. So no price would be too high for just what it delivers in terms of well-being and enjoyment of life and the and enjoyment of nature and the company of, of great people who are into similar hobbies. So I feel that things that bring us joy and, and wellness and connection, whether to nature or to humans or both, are, are the things that are very valuable. Um, well, this dovetails nicely to my next question, which are, we all know brands have distinct personalities. So if you can think of a brand that you would date and then maybe a brand that you would marry, and it could be the same brand, but maybe not. Oh, Jess, you're really getting me in trouble here, not just with my husband, <laughs> but not with my husband. So not only will I be locked out of my house when I get there, I have a feeling that my suitcases will be standing in front of it as well. But I like the, the, how you made the point um, that people one might want to date and people mm -hmm. want, want to marry could be different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. So I guess um, a brand like Restoration Hardware seems mm -hmm. like a on brand to date so mm -hmm. they would know they seem like they would know the good places and the cool people and you'd have to dress up to go out with them like big time but then in terms of making a long-term bet it would have to be for me someone more like ikea so more <laughs> practical minded adaptable adventurous but not too much no nonsense someone you can count on and with a sense of humor Oh, I love that. That's I'm going to think of that in the next time I encounter each of those brands, but those are great ones. And then just finally, we I, I think we can glean a lot from this conversation about how you'll answer this question, but what keeps you inspired at work? In our line of work mutually, I think every day you meet a different question. It never gets old. And then people are 
endlessly fascinating to study and yet never understand fully. Um, you know, by, by formal training and I think by mindset, I'm an economist. And so the, the joke goes that economists live in this parallel universe where people are smarter but meaner than they actually <laughs> are. And being in insights, I actually really enjoy the real world where people are much nicer than economists allow and much quirkier. Well, that's fantastic. I love that contrast. But I also love that you bring that economic thinking to your job. And I can just sense your intellectual curiosity. I think that I'm sure you're you're reading and consuming things all the time that, that help you learn and, and to grow. And I just appreciate that about you. And it's been so wonderful to have you here on the Dig In podcast. So thank you for joining us. Um, you're a real inspiration. And I'm just so honored to be in your network, Oksana. So thank you for being here. It's been such a pleasure reconnecting, Jess, and going over some of these uh, fun questions. Congratulations to you on becoming the chief revenue officer and also the the kind of the double gig of uh, hosting the podcast as well. They keep me busy, you know, but I love it. I love it that way. Well, thanks again for being here. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Talk again soon. Like what you heard? Share the inspiration or head to diginsights.com to learn more about what we do.